This is The Guardian. Today, why the Israel-Hamas war is the deadliest on record for journalists. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. In the last eight weeks, more than 16,000 civilians have died through the violence unleashed by Hamas and Israel. In Gaza, the death toll has risen at a pace that has been called historic in its ferocity. Amongst that figure, more than 60 journalists have been killed. Those trying to report with fairness and accuracy as bombs fall around them. All right. Yumna, please take cover. If you are in a position to do so safely, you can explain to us what we're happening. If you are not in a position to do so safely, yes. then please get to safety. This is a missile attack on, on Palestine Tower, right in the middle of Gaza City. These are bombardments just around it. Our neighborhood, um, you can hear how loud they are. Our building is literally shaking now. Mm. We can see a black smoke everywhere from the window. By the beginning of the ceasefire, four Israeli and three Lebanese journalists had lost their lives. But the overwhelming majority of casualties were Palestinian. Members of the press who were trapped in Gaza, trying to take shelter with their families, killed while trying to report on what is happening around them. Those pictures and the information that's coming out, it's being captured by local journalists who are living in Gaza. They're living there. Uh, that means that they're living in those conditions. Many of them have had to evacuate their homes. Many of them have, have families that they're terribly worried about. More journalists have died in the last month than in any other conflict recorded in the last three decades. The figure is more than triple the number of journalists killed since the Russia-Ukraine war began last February. The consequences are chilling. Not just for professionals trying to document what's happening on the ground, but for the people there desperate for the world to bear witness. Without the journalists on the ground, really, there is no way to verify any claim that's coming from either party. Otherwise, anything goes. And really, it's, it's a scary thought. We're talking about a modification of reality. This is why journalists are necessary, and this is why they should be protected, not just in Gaza, not just in the war, but everywhere. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, how the killing of journalists is putting the truth at peril in the Israel-Hamas war.
Jonathan Dagger, you're head of the Middle East desk at Reporters Sans Frontieres, RSF, which translates to Reporters Without Borders. It's a non-profit organisation that campaigns for the safety of journalists and compiles data on what's happening to them as they report on conflicts around the world. Can we begin with you explaining what the rules of war are when it comes to press freedom and how journalists are usually protected in conflict? In any conflict, journalists are protected just as other civilians by several laws, particularly international law, which demands the protection of journalists. And the Geneva Conventions, for example, targeting journalists is considered a war crime. Uh, This is also applicable according to the statutes of Rome, which govern the international courts in The Hague. But of course, this only applies to states that adhere to the court. So there are specific laws under the Geneva Convention and those set by the International Criminal Court, the ICC, which emphasise that journalists as civilians should be protected in war zones. Jonathan, do you know how many journalists were working in Gaza before October of this year? Well, that's not a number we have. Uh, However, what I do know is that no less than 300 journalists have been displaced internally from North Gaza to South Gaza since October 7th, since the beginning of that war. I understand these figures may change again, but as we're speaking now, how many journalists have been killed since Hamas attacked Israel and since Israel began its air and ground campaign? Globally, we're talking about 61 journalists killed since October 7. 54 of them killed in Gaza, all of them killed by, by Israeli strikes. It's important to say that at Reporters Without Borders, on our, on our official list, we only count journalists who have been killed for reasons related to their job because we're really trying to see how it affects the right to information. Now, evidently, in the context of this war, it's very difficult to be able to know the intention and to know whether these journalists were explicitly targeted as journalists. However, for at least 17 cases, 13 of them in Gaza, we know that these journalists were on the field working, that they were wearing press vests and press helmets, or we know that they had received threats shortly before they were killed, or we have reason to believe that they were specifically targeted as journalists. Isam was an experienced, talented, and passionate journalist who was much loved by his colleagues here at Reuters. He was just doing his job when he was killed. Reporting on world events with accuracy, integrity, independence, and freedom from bias. Most of their others were killed in their homes at night when they were with their families because Gaza is also particular in the sense that it's, it's closed. There's a blockade imposed by Israel that's been intensified since October 7. Unlike many other conflict zones, journalists are not just doing their jobs and then they can leave the front lines and go to safer places. The, the safest journalists can be in Gaza currently is the south of Gaza. But even that's not safe. So another night of heavy bombing in southern Gaza, Khan Yunis. This is the area where Israel asked 1.2 million people to come in. They said it's uh, safer for you to be uh, south. But as you can see, every night there is airstrikes here in this area. Jonathan, what have you learned about these journalists who've been killed and what do you know about their stories? As you can imagine... All of these journalists were killed in terrible circumstances. The very first journalists were killed, they were killed in, in Gaza, and they are Mohammed Jargoun and Ibrahim Lafi and Mohammed Salehi. They were covering the beginning of the Israeli retaliation to the Hamas attack on October 7. 
They were wearing press vests and they were killed very early on the morning of October 7. Ibrahim Lafi was a young 21-year-old journalist who used to work with Ayn Media. He was also a fixer for international media outlets. So he was well-known among journalists. He was independent. He was very ambitious. He was mourned immediately by a lot of journalists in Gaza and in Palestine and worldwide. He's a journalist. He was, he was wearing the, the press vest. He's, he's my friend. He's a, This just gives you a little bit of the idea of how young these journalists are, first of all. Most of them are young and how devoted they were to their jobs. They knew the risks they were taking, but they still went and they did their jobs anyway. I can give you another example of three journalists who were killed in Gaza on October 10th at the same time. Hisham al-Nawashha, who was 27, and Saeed al-Tawil, who was 36. They both worked for a news outlet called Al-Khamisa. And there's Muhammad Subah, who's a journalist with Al-Khabar. Now, Al-Khabar and Al-Khamisa, their media offices are in the Babel Tower in Gaza City. It was the third day of war, and they had received a threat from the Israelis that the tower was going to be targeted. They were given evacuation orders. And so they did, along with other residents and media workers in that tower, and they sought shelter at a safe distance away. And being journalists, they wanted to document this attack. So they set up their cameras. They were wearing their helmets. They were wearing their press vests. Two of them were killed on the spot. The third one was killed shortly after. This is one example of journalists who were killed while doing their job. And so these three journalists, for example, are definitely on our list as an attack against the right to information. And how do you collate that information? How do you verify and establish those numbers? RSF has a network of correspondents in most countries around the world. In Gaza, we have a correspondent. Her name is Al Zanun. She's been working with RSF since 2018. She's been living in Gaza her whole life. And she's living in extreme fear. But despite that, as most journalists in Gaza, she's still doing her work. She verifies information. She sends information. We rely on her a lot. She's our eyes and ears on the ground. And evidently, we're in touch with a lot of other journalists. And we also heavily rely on available information that we find that, of course, requires a lot of verification with the amount of disinformation that's been coming out of this war. Jonathan, as I understand it, more journalists have died in the last month in this brutal conflict than in any other month since records began three decades ago. Why do you think this war is so different and so dangerous for journalists? I believe, first of all, there's no true will on behalf of of the Israeli forces to spare journalists. We've heard this in in some of the statements they've made. For example, they made a statement to Agence France Presse, a news agency in France, and to Reuters, informing them that they weren't at capacity to ensure the protection of their journalists on the ground in Gaza. Israeli military has said that it cannot guarantee journalists' safety in Gaza. This is after news agencies Reuters An AFP wrote to Israel Defense Forces seeking assurances that their workers will not be targeted by Israeli strikes. IDF in response says that they are targeting all Hamas military activity throughout Gaza and that Hamas has deliberately put military operations in the vicinity of journalists and civilians. The fact of just saying it publicly and outright that they cannot ensure the protection, that is just inadmissible. And it shows a lack of respect to international law, to the Geneva Conventions we were talking about, which demand the protection of journalists. 
we've seen direct strikes on media offices. More than 50 media offices were hit in Gaza since the beginning of the war, according to the Palestinian press syndicate in, in the West Bank. We've seen this enforced by the blockade that's been intensified since October 7. At night, in darkness, you can see Gaza's isolation, a city cut off from electricity and the internet. And then the sky lights up, illuminated by the explosions that Israel threatened and is now delivering. Very practical needs for journalists, for example, the shortage of press vests and helmets, the lack of fuel that's necessary to to run generators means that journalists cannot do, do basic tasks such as charging their phones or charging their cameras or taking their cars to go on location to film. We've denounced this attempt to suffocate journalism in Gaza, this attempt to impose a media blackout. There were entire weekends when we had no word from our correspondent. There was no way to reach journalists in Gaza because of these intentional internet cuts that were widespread all across the closed territory. The only way I can communicate with my channel is through a, a, a satellite link, a sat phone, and it's not available all the time. Uh, I think Israel is trying to, by this blackout, it's trying to stop the world from seeing what's happening in Gaza. It is dark, it is cut off, and the people uh, who are already under attack are, are in a much more difficult uh, situation. We were not able to reach our teams, and that has been one of the most important sources of information for us and for the world, frankly. This blockade means that journalists cannot leave Gaza, and this contributes greatly to the increasing death toll. There is nowhere safe, truly. The journalists are not protected in any way. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, as you say, journalists are trapped inside Gaza. And on the other hand, journalists can't get into Gaza unless, as I understand it, they're embedded with the Israeli Defense Forces with, you know, all the restrictions and curtailments that that then entails. Why is that? And how unusual is it? Well, it's not just unusual. It's also it's also violating the right to information. Journalists have a right to be Anywhere there is a conflict, international journalists have a right to enter Gaza and cover the war in Gaza. And yes, some journalists have went in as embedded uh, with a lot of restrictions, as you mentioned. We went into Gaza with the Israeli army on condition we didn't reveal their positions. Video shot after they took us through the gap in the fence into Gaza, though not this script, had to be submitted to their military censors. But there's no space for independent information to come out of Gaza. For, there is no space for journalists to come in and do their own reporting independently in Gaza from the outside. At the moment, we can't get into the Gaza Strip to report on what's happening firsthand. More than 100. We're relying on videos and information from journalists based there. Not enough unbalances. Marwan Al-Ghul, a CBS News producer who lives in Gaza, has been reporting on this war from the very beginning risking his life to get the news out. And so what we have is a situation where Gaza is blocked. Journalists cannot come in from the outside to report. Journalists on the inside were being killed at a rate almost one or two journalists per day. Marwan, we're so worried about you. Well, you are right. Uh, I am worried too. I am concerned of my family. This makes me sometimes angry and sometimes I feel like I need to cry. And meanwhile, there are entire 
propaganda campaigns from the outside, putting in question the credibility of the journalists on the inside. And so what we have is a situation where really there's an eradication of journalism inside Gaza. And what this means, it means there's an eradication of, of an independent source of information. There are less and less ways to verify the information that we've been getting from Gaza, from the parties involved in this conflict, namely Israel and Hamas. And so the absence of information, the absence of journalistic work in Gaza means disinformation. It means it mm. means lies at the service of the, the military parties that are implicated in this war. It does not mean the truth. Hazim Balusha, you're speaking to us from Jordan, but up until two weeks ago, you were a Gaza-based reporter. And you've kept in touch with Today in Focus these last few weeks to report back on the devastating impact of this conflict. Some, some, uh, some, uh, uh. As Hazim and I were talking, leaflets started to fall from the sky, dropped by Israeli jets. He reached out, trying to grab one. It's coming my way. I wish I... Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So your existence in these places are not safe. You have to evacuate immediately. How have you been able to do that since the Israeli bombardment started? This war was like, um, is, is different, totally different. There was a shock for me. It came from nowhere. I mean, in previous times, we would expect something would happen, little escalation here and there, but it was completely quiet and nobody expected this. It was a big thing. Some airstrikes happened in some streets not far from my place causing the cut of the telecommunication, mainly the landline and the internet. So I was completely isolated. Gaza has no 3G or 4G. Gaza was um, relying on 2G. So the internet on the phone is very poor. So it was difficult for me to report. And I was afraid about my family. They were panicking. Um, During the, the early days, I was like, talking to people over the phone. I didn't go out. My main reason was like my family. I didn't want to leave them with no phone or internet. And the electricity was cut. Azim, as I understand it, you kept moving. I moved to four different places, um, four or five, the majority of the time. Many airstrikes happened in the area during the day and the night, even it was in the south where the area they asked us to move to. Um, so many times we felt like we, we are not going to survive this. Yeah, I hope my wife not hear this, but I mean, she was like really panicking and I was trying to to hold on and, 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 and not to show that in front of her. But um, I was really you know, feeling that this is the last thing that I would live. Well, it's clear, it's really clear how tenacious and brave you have to be to report from Gaza. I mean, people might have heard, for instance, about Wayla Daldu, the Gaza Bureau chief at Al Jazeera, and how he's carried on in especially difficult personal circumstances. As in, what can you tell me about his work and what's happened to him? Yeah, Wayla Daldu is on icon of journalist in Gaza. He lost his, his wife, his son, his daughter and grandson. I saw that it was my duty, despite the pain and the bleeding wound, to return quickly 
and to meet you through the camera lens and social networking sites. And I'm sure he's he's in the shock. He's busy with thinking about work and on the daily basis how to survive this war. But I'm sure he would never ever, as he said, forgive about it. It happened before, to be honest, to many journalists. This is the thing that we, including me, um, that, you know, losing the family while you're at work make you feel guilty because you left them behind. But this is a struggle, whether I should stay at home with the family or go and continue in my mission and and keep covering and telling the stories about Gaza. Hazem, this has been the deadliest conflict for journalists that the world has witnessed in recent memory. Palestinian, Israeli and Lebanese journalists have lost their lives. It's been really harrowing to process just the sheer magnitude of tragedy. How have their deaths made you feel? I... I wanted to leave Gaza because of that. I thought many times about leaving Gaza before the war, but I wasn't very serious, to be honest. But this time, you know, made me think again, I mean, whether I should stay there or not, uh, whether I return back or not. Gaza is now, is like never before. This war changed the shape of Gaza, the face of Gaza. I would consider like leaving Gaza for good, not because of only because of me, because the sake of my 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 family, my wife and two kids. Jonathan, in normal circumstances, or as normal as they get in the region, what does the media landscape look like in Israel, Gaza and the West Bank? How free is the press? It was already very difficult for journalists to work in these territories for a multitude of reasons. For example, in the West Bank, there was a lot of intimidation and arrests of journalists by the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, but also by the Israeli occupation forces in the West Bank. There was Unfortunately, also at all of killing journalists, which is the case, the famous case, of course, of the Al Jazeera correspondent Shirin Abu Akleh, who was killed in May 2022 by Israeli fire as per several investigations. For the first time, Israel is admitting there is a high possibility one of its shoulder, uh, soldiers shot and killed Palestinian-American journalist Shirin Abu Akleh. Abu Akleh was wearing a vest labeled press when she was killed during an Israeli military operation in May. So... Journalists in the West Bank in general faced a lot of difficulties. What about the general pressure that Hamas would exert on journalists in Gaza? Yeah, that's actually a very important question in light of the accusations, you know, that that journalists in Gaza are working with Hamas. And there are accusations that I I have to stress are extremely unfounded. The Hamas government was not respectful of press freedoms. It was an authoritative government in many ways. And the journalists working in Gaza have long defied these attempts at intimidation. For example, 
journalists could not freely cover or take photos in Gaza without a written permit from the media office of Hamas. Journalists who uh, covered sensitive topics such as corruption in the Hamas government or mismanagement, they were also questioned and intimidated. They would receive phone calls. Sometimes they would get detained and interrogated. Uh, Some of them received threats asking them to stop their coverage. It's important to say this because these journalists... They've been struggling with this for a long time, and yet they continue to do their job with all the integrity of any journalist in the world. And so these very journalists, you know, that faced these pressures and that stood up against these pressures in order to transmit an honest and independent information, today they're being accused of working with their governments. That said, I I have to say that since the 7th of October, these pressures by the Hamas government have almost disappeared for no reason other than the Hamas leadership has been preoccupied with the war. Jonathan, it's just incredibly humbling to look at the landscape and see how hostile it's been, not just now, obviously, where it's perilous, but before October and how difficult a job journalists in the region have. In recent weeks, though, we have seen reports that some Israeli politicians have explicitly put the lives of Palestinian journalists at risk. Can you explain what's been happening? Yes, unfortunately, we've seen direct call to murders of journalists in Gaza by Israeli politicians. This was quite a shift from the official Israeli statement that Israel insists that it does not explicitly or intentionally target journalists in Gaza. It's been saying that since the beginning of the war. And yet, almost two weeks ago, we we saw completely contradictory statements. Some of them were implications, other were direct calls for killing journalists. One of the implications was by the war minister, Benny Gantz, who, uh, based on uh, a disinformation campaign that had emerged earlier that same day, he said journalists who covered the Hamas terrorist attack are no different than terrorists themselves, and so they should be treated in the same way. Like I'm paraphrasing his quote, excuse me, but this is more or less what was said. And this was based actually on articles that had emerged in Israeli media earlier that day and earlier that week that directly made the link between the journalists' in Gaza and the Hamas attack and accused the journalists of working with Hamas. Journalists just can't go into our country without permission. That's something that the terrorists do. They infiltrated together with terrorists. That alone was aiding and abetting what the terrorists were doing. But did not stop there, but also implied that the media outlets who had hired these journalists, most of whom were freelance, that these media outlets had known of the Hamas attack beforehand. The media outlets that were mentioned were, for example, uh, Reuters, uh, the New York Times, CNN, and Associated Press. Obviously, the journalists denied immediately. The media outlets denied. AP says it had no knowledge of the October 7th attacks before they happened. And they denounced this, this attempt at demonizing journalists in Gaza. Coming up. Is this war setting a dangerous new precedent for how conflict is reported? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day... 
What would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Jonathan, we're witnessing such a tragic and horrifying set of circumstances that journalists are working in within the region. Of course, there's been this huge loss of life that you've told us about, but what does it mean for news and for Israel and for Palestine to lose so many journalists in this conflict? This is a tragedy of immense proportions, but it's every time I, I have to say that it's the tragedy within a much bigger tragedy. We're talking about a huge death toll for journalists among a death toll of of thousands. However, it's important to say that it's also a, a massive tragedy for journalism in the world. Uh, I think the crime being committed against journalists in Gaza, it's also a crime against journalism in, in the entire world. Journalists in Gaza cannot be abandoned by the world. They cannot be just another collateral damage, another casualty of this war. Because if there is no accountability for the killing of these journalists, it means it will be very difficult to have accountability for the killing of any journalist. And so it is very important to bring justice. It is very important to say to the world that the killing of journalists is abhorrent. And it is very important to repeat that the targeting of journalists specifically is a war crime. There's no negotiation on this. Jonathan, how worried are you about dis and misinformation filling this vacuum? And do you think it's still possible to get accurate, incredible reporting from the region? Disinformation, is, it's a very real problem in this war, in, in all wars in general, but in this war in particular, given the particularity of the Gaza Strip. This is the first time ever uh, since uh, 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 Hamas took over uh, Gaza and four wars before, uh, we haven't seen Israel like, completely uh, cutting the uh, communication with uh, uh, Gaza. Uh, the humanitarian situation is also getting worse and worse. The less these journalists who are on the ground are able to work and are able to work safely, the less information there will be, the less we can know what's really going on. And so this leaves us with really two official sources of information, that of Hamas and that of Israel. And I believe most people will agree with me that neither source is is reliable in this context, given how it will be motivated by political interests and military interests. 
in that information void, we have seen that some citizens have been stepping in. You know, they're filming the bombings and explosions on their phones and they're sharing those videos on social media. They have become, in some ways, one of the only ways we can access testimony on the ground. How hopeful do you feel about the role that they can play? Well, citizen journalists are an important source of news. And of course, they're sometimes indispensable in, in conflict zones. But it's very also important to distinguish between journalists who do a real job of, of documenting facts, of transmitting facts, of verifying facts, and just the average person with a smartphone who's going to take a photo and send it without any true um, verification process. And, mm. um, and this is I guess here we can go into a little bit of a technicality, which is the difference between disinformation, the the intention of spreading a lie for 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 a political purpose, and misinformation, which is really when someone receives a video and then believes it to be real or accurate or authentic, and then transmits it, and it turns out to be fake. That's also a risk when non-professionals are transmitting the information. Well, finally, Jonathan, with your work, Reporters Without Borders. Why do you feel it's so important to pay tribute to the journalists that we're now seeing still covering this conflict? Because I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a bit of a personal answer, but but mm. it's because I'm really touched by their by their bravery. Uh, it's really the bravery of journalists today in Gaza. The message or the phone call that we received was from a private number. He literally said, uh, he, he, he gave my husband full name and told him that this is the Israeli army. We are telling you to evacuate south because uh, in the coming hours, it's going to be very dangerous in the area where you are. And the fact that they still do their jobs, some of them have received threats. Some of, the, some of their families have received threats. And here I think of my correspondent, uh, Ola. She said, I can't get food, I can't get water, and my children are scared. And I can't tell them not to be scared because I am scared too. She was in distress. She was telling me, how do I tell my kids not to be terrorized when I'm terrorized? Um, and this was being said as I could hear warplanes outside. And it has happened that I've heard strikes hit directly next to her while speaking to her on the phone. The fact that she, in this climate... I ask her for information and she verifies it and she gives it back to me in five minutes. And I think that's that's very brave. And I think that encourages me and I think that encourages a lot of our colleagues. And that emphasizes the need to protect these people who are really putting their lives on the line to inform us. It's utterly incredible and completely inspiring. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. That was Jonathan Dagger from Reporters Sans Frontier and Hazem Belusha, whose journalism has been published in The Guardian, Washington Post and beyond. In this episode, you'll also have heard the voices of journalists reporting from inside Gaza. That's Yumna El Said, Rushdi Abulouf, Wael Dadu, Marwan Al Ghul. With thanks to all of them. I'm Nasheen Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams and Hannah Moore. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.